The children are dismissed for Children's Church. And I'll invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Give you just a minute to find it and then we'll pray together before we dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll start at verse 35, but let's pray first. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess to you that apart from your Holy Spirit opening our eyes and our hearts to receive your word, the best we could do is just mentally understand it. But we want more than that. We want you to transform us, transform the way we see the world, transform the way we operate, mold us to be your people through your word, please. We submit ourselves to you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Last time I preached was Easter. Like I said, that was eight months ago. Or so it feels like. And I preached about Jesus' resurrection. And in that passage in Mark chapter 16, we completed our journey through Mark. We spent several years in Mark every spring and Christmas time. And now we're going to return to 1 Corinthians for the summer because that's what we've been doing. We've been studying 1 Corinthians every summer for several years, just moving through. So last uh, Easter Sunday, we talked about Jesus' resurrection. And then here we just plop back in where we left off in 1 Corinthians. And wouldn't you know it? We find ourselves right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 15, which is all about our resurrection. So it's almost like I couldn't have planned it out any better in terms of just the theme and the connection. I love how God does that. I love how he works through his word in ways like that. So we're going to talk about the resurrection of the dead this morning. Now I recognize that that's usually a funeral topic, but I'm really excited For us to think about it together here in just a regular Sunday in the cold light of day and not in a funeral context. Because in a funeral context, it's very emotional and very formal in a lot of ways and very sentimental in a lot of ways. And so if that's the only time we really think about the resurrection of the dead, we'll start to put it in that category that Christians do of kind of a sentimental reality an emotional reality, but not in the category of necessarily a real reality, that this is our destiny. In Christ, we are promised a bodily resurrection from the dead. So looking at it today on just a normal Sunday is still emotional because we have loved ones that we care about who have preceded us in death. And it's emotional because in our most realistic moments, we know that we're going to die one day. So it still, it still is all those things, but let's try to look at it in concrete terms this morning. And that's not going to be an easy thing to do, but that's what we're going to try to do. And we're going to give ourselves permission to ask the question, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that one day Jesus is going to return in some kind of cosmic event, Jesus is going to return and dead people are going to come to life? Hey, if you told somebody that didn't know anything about Christianity that you believed that out there in the American world, they would probably think you were crazy. Do we really believe this? Uh, just in case, there may, it may be that not everybody here is sure what I'm talking about when I refer to the resurrection of the dead. So I want to begin actually by reading 
You don't have to go there. Just listen to 1 Thessalonians. This comes from chapter 4. It's uh, in there in verses 13 and 7 through 17. Here's how the Bible describes what I'm referring to. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, do we really believe this? It, okay, well, good. We've established that. Good work. The Corinthians had doubts. The Corinthians had some doubts about this, and that's what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 15. They, some were saying in that church, there is not going to be a resurrection of the dead. Maybe there's some spiritual sense in which there'll be some kind of new life, but there's not going to be dead people coming to life. And so Paul has been addressing it. We saw the first part of his argument way back last summer. I assume that you guys have all that memorized and remember those sermons with crystal clarity, so I'm not going to go back into all that. We're going to pick up in verse 35 where Paul's addressing one of their specific doubts, one of the things they were struggling with. Verse 35, let's just go ahead and read it. Paul says, after he's been arguing, yes, the resurrection is real, it's going to happen, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I think that's a pretty good question. If we're thinking about it, not in the sentimental terms, but in concrete terms, how is this going to happen? What kind of bodies are these going to be? I mean, you're talking about everybody who has ever died. Some of those remains centuries old are going to come to life. Like maybe I could believe it if you told me Billy Graham's going to come back to life. That was recent and he was awesome. Maybe something special there. But you're telling me Elvis is going to come to life and face judgment? You're telling me everybody all the way back to Adam and Eve is going to come to life and face judgment? Well, Paul proceeds to answer, and we'll just let it unfold, starting in verse 36. He starts off, he's just so warm and fuzzy, the Apostle Paul. You foolish person. So I read verse 35, and I think, that's a good question. Paul reads verse 35, or assumes that they're going to ask this, and he says, you foolish person. Literally, it could be translated, you nonsense person. And I'm going to start using that. I like that. You nonsense person. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Paul's first stab at answering this question, which he, I think he responds with this, you nonsense person, that harsh tone, because I think he knows this church, and he knows that if people are asking that, they're not asking it in humility, genuinely wanting to know, they're probably asking it in a mocking way, because they think they already know, they're, they're saying, oh, you, you think people are really going to come back to life, what kind of bodies are these going to be? Are you talking about decayed corpses are going to just burst up out of the ground? 
and walk around. Remains that have been dead for centuries. Skeletons are going to come up. Is that what you're telling me, Paul? And Paul says, you fool, you're not even anywhere near the right track in your thinking, if that's what your objection is. It's not going to be corpses coming up in whatever condition of decay they happen to be in at that moment when Jesus returns like some horror movie. And so he uses this imagery of a seed. He says, we get a picture of the resurrection if we think about how seeds work. A farmer doesn't sow a seed and expect to come back and reap that same seed in the same form that he sowed it, that he planted it. A farmer sows a seed anticipating transformation. So what you sow does not come to life unless it dies or disappears. For what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Now we, we understand to varying degrees, the science behind why if you sow a seed, it will transform and grow up in a different form, and that seed will have disappeared. It won't be there anymore in that way the seed has died. We kind of understand the science of that. We've seen it all our lives in different ways. I grew up surrounded by fields that were alternating uh, like ryegrass or uh, corn. It wasn't a shock to know that when they went out and planted corn, that later it wasn't the corn seeds plopping back up in their original form. It was a stalk of corn that came up. I was used to it and kind of understood the science behind it, so it made sense. But could you imagine if this was the first time you'd ever seen anything like that? What a magic trick that would have seemed. You're telling me you put this little dry, dull-looking seed in the ground and it, it gives way and somehow disappears into this new life of this new plant or this new tree or, as Paul says, wheat or some other grain. It makes sense to us because we're kind of used to it. So we're not astonished by it. And so the resurrection one day will make sense as well. We're kind of already used to the idea of something being planted in the ground and being transformed into something new. And that's sort of what the resurrection will be like. Now, again, to try to put this in concrete terms... Let's not just talk about the resurrection as the abstract idea, but let's talk about your resurrection. Those in Christ will be raised from the dead. So let's think about your resurrection. I'll think about mine. You think about yours. When Jesus returns, it won't be, and I'm sorry to talk in graphic terms, but I think it's the best way to think really about it. It won't be your decayed corpse resurrected. And it won't be you frozen in time at whatever point you died. If that was the case, eternity would look mainly like a nursing home with a couple of younger people sprinkled in. It won't be you frozen in time at the point at which you died. It also won't be you at your physical best now. It won't be you like you are now, but with a six-pack and no wrinkles. It's, it's going to be better. It's going to be bigger. It's, it's going to be... We can't understand it, what it's going to be. It'll be you, but it'll be transformed. It'll be as different as a flower is from its original seed. We'll, if we can do this, I don't know how it will be, but if we could look back on our bodies as they are now, it will be as an oak tree might look back on its former life as an acorn. So the Corinthians ask, 
you really believe this resurrection stuff, well, what kind of body is it going to be? And Paul answers, it's going to be a completely transformed body. We get a picture of it with the way seeds work, and he goes on to argue, we see the potential for this transformed resurrection body in God's varied creation. Let's let his argument unfold a little further, starting in verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Now, what in the world is he talking about? I think what he's saying is, if you'll look around you, you'll notice that God is really good at creating all different kinds of bodies. He's created bodies suitable for humanity. He's created bodies suitable for animals. He has created bodies suitable for birds. He has created bodies suitable for fish. He's created bodies that are suited to live on land. He's created bodies that are suited to soar through the skies. He's created bodies that are suited to live in the depths of the ocean, down deep in the darkness that we haven't even discovered yet. Beyond that, look at the planetary bodies. He's created the earth, which differs dramatically from the sun, which differs dramatically from the moon, which differs dramatically from the stars, which differ dramatically from one another. His point being, God is really good at creating different kinds of bodies. Why would we be surprised that the resurrection body could be something different yet than things that we already know? Why, you Corinthians, are you dismissing the notion of resurrection because you can't imagine a resurrected body? Don't you think God could do it? Look at what he's created out of nothing. Now, thinking about all these different kinds of bodies, again, just try to imagine if all you knew were human bodies. That's the only kind of bodies you had ever seen your whole life, for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden, you open the door to to go out to your car, and this little furry creature shuffles past your leg, and you see a cat. It's the first time you've ever seen a different kind of body other than a human body. How bizarre that cat would look to you. All I've known is a body like this, and then here's this little life being who's covered in fur, has some kind of a thing sticking out of the base of his back, doesn't have fingers, has little paw pads, whiskers, ears that can sort of telescopically move around. Like Again, we're used to these different kinds of bodies. We've seen them ever since we were children. That doesn't make them any less bizarre or creative. Imagine all you knew was the the bodies of humanity and cats. And then a giraffe walked by. (laughs) Man, God created that? And then all you knew was the kinds of bodies of humans and cats and giraffes and other land animals, and all of a sudden you saw a cardinal flutter past. Man, God even created a body like that? And then you look under the surface of the ocean and you see that type of body, you're like, wow, God is amazingly creative with the different sorts of bodies that he can make. Now, before we get to 
sci-fi about this. I don't want you to be afraid you're going to be resurrected as some kind of giant squid creature or something. Uh, Paul's point is don't limit God. Don't dismiss a doctrine like the resurrection because you can't imagine how it could possibly be. Could you have imagined a giraffe if you hadn't seen one first? Could you have imagined that fish down deep in the depth of the ocean that has that little thing that comes off with the light on the end of it and the jagged teeth? Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about now. It exists. It's down there. These Corinthians are not much different from from many of us who, who might think, how could God bodily resurrect someone who was blown up in battle and body just dismembered? How could God resurrect somebody who was like vaporized by an extreme electrical accident? How could God resurrect somebody who was cremated? Paul says, are you forgetting who you're talking about? Of course God could do that. Look what he's already done in creation. He is capable of resurrecting bodies in a transformation that makes them suitable for eternity with him. We see a picture of it in the way seeds operate. We see the potential for it when we look around at his varied creation. And we see in it both continuity and transformation. Let's let him bring his point to fruition here, starting in verse 42. He's talked about the seeds. He's talked about all the different kinds of bodies that God has created. And he kind of brings it together, making his point. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is in, uh, I'm sorry, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. He says there's continuity here. What is sown is what will be raised. You're not going to be raised as something that has no continuity, no connection with what you were beforehand. It's, it's going to be the same matter somehow raised. There's continuity. You're not going to be raised as like a pickup truck or something that's just completely different from being a human at all. There's continuity there. What is sown is what will be raised, but there's transformation. It was characterized by being perishable. In resurrection, it will be characterized by being imperishable. The only time I've really used the word perishable is in relation to food. I think about our food pantry. We always said we want non-perishable food items. We never wanted to stock our church pantry with fresh organic produce from Trader Joe's because in 15 minutes it would just be a mushy mess in there. It would, it would rot before we could get it to anybody. So we wanted non-perishable stuff. The Bible teaches that we are, humanity is perishable, but will be raised imperishable. That's what the transformation will be. You know, there was a time probably in all of our lives where we mistakenly thought we were non-perishable. And then as we rounded out our 20s and entered our 30s, our perishability became reality. My stomach began to try to eat my belt in daily life. Metabolism slows. Scientifically, around that time, our blood vessels and arteries begin to stiffen. Our bones start to shrink in size and density. We actually start getting a little shorter. Just the weight of our perishability just starts to 
make us more compact. Our muscles begin to lose strength and endurance and flexibility. Our bladder gets less elastic. Our eyesight and hearing diminish. Our skin gets thinner and less elastic. But that's not how we're going to be raised. We're not going to be a bunch of rotten fruit people walking around in eternity. I think that's what the Corinthians were mocking Paul, thinking these bodies aren't going to be like able to last that long. Paul says, no, we're going to be transformed, imperishable. It was sown in dishonor. It's going to be raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. And he gives another way to think about it. This, to me, is the most confusing part of the passage. I honestly still don't feel like I have a good handle on exactly all the details of what he means here. So I'm not going to preach this last bit in a real detailed way because I just I fear I might be askew in some of the things I would say. I'm just going to read it and trust the Holy Spirit to impress upon us the truths, the truths of it. But he ends this section with another way to think about it, starting verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, mind you, that doesn't mean it's a disembodied existence. It's still an embodied existence. We, we still, I, I believe, will somehow take up physical space. I think that's a big part of what he's been arguing throughout this. I think what he means is it was a body that was suited to the natural world, and then it will now be a body suited to the spiritual world, suited to a world of God's presence for all eternity. But again, I'm trying not to get real detailed because this is a little beyond me to fully understand all this. Thus it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, referring to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The bodies that will eventually wear out and die and be laid to rest were bodies suitable for this environment. But the bodies that will be raised will be different, and they will be bodies suitable for eternity with God. For Christians. Now, there's a lot of mystery in there. I was talking with Ron yesterday morning before the men's breakfast about this passage, and I was saying, I don't even know if I can preach this whole thing because we are on the borderlands of what we understand. When I say, when the Bible talks about a mystery, it's not talking about a Sherlock Holmes style, find the clues, solve the riddle kind of mystery. It's those things that God just has not revealed fully and in full detail yet. And so we're standing on the edge of what he has revealed in full detail as we talk about these things. And that's okay. I think it calls for some humility. So if you'll forgive me, I'm not going to go deeply into that last paragraph. I just I don't feel ready to preach that yet. I need some more time to figure out the ins and outs of what he means by that. Maybe the next time I come through 1 Corinthians 15 in my effort to preach through the entire council of Scripture, I'll be ready. But for now, this is sort of part two of of a three-part answer Paul gives to the Corinthian Christians. Yes, you need to believe in the resurrection. 
He does not here give a lot of application like for our daily lives. He is going to at the end of next week's passage. So I'm not going to really go there either with a lot of like, because of this is true, do this, this, and this this week. Instead, let's just let this scripture stimulate our imagination a little bit. Do we believe this? As we think about the mortality of our loved ones, some of whom have preceded us in death, that we love and miss so dearly, who are believers, do we believe this hope of this miraculous, mysterious, awesome promise of resurrection? As we think about our own mortality, as the aging process creeps in, as the potential for unexpected disaster, accident, or catastrophe looms, really, for any of us, do we believe this? this awesome, mysterious promise of resurrection. The big idea of the passage, if, if you can only take one thing away, is just simply that it makes sense to believe in resurrection, even though it's really hard to imagine what kind of body we're going to have. A seed could not possibly imagine life as a flower, and yet that is that seed's destiny. A caterpillar could not imagine life as a butterfly, And yet, that is that caterpillar's destiny. And we cannot possibly fully imagine life in a resurrected body, in a resurrected state, and yet, that is our destiny as Christians. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing this much to us. It reveals how limited we are in our ability to understand your great mysteries. But man, we're grateful for the promise. Lord, would you help us to live in light of it this week, to hope in it this week? Lord, let us see that this life is not all there is, that you have promised Jesus will return and there will be a resurrection. Lord, let us all, each one, everyone in here, be shielded by faith in Jesus Christ in that day. Let us be raised to new life, eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.